Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're in the time of the end. We know that. We can see events taking place right around us. We need wisdom. We need guidance. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray that he'll be felt this morning. That we'll grow in our understanding of what's taking place and what will come. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think of the book of Daniel, and you start with chapter 2, you know you start with a picture of the history of the earth until the time of the end. Nations that would rule, starting with Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and after Rome, no other nations would rule the earth. The next kingdom to rule the earth would be God's own. We need to keep that in mind as we're nearing the end because there are a lot of things that have been said and will be said concerning the book of Daniel. Remember, no other kingdom after Rome. The next world kingdom is God's own. So basically that's what Daniel chapter 2 showed us because you saw the rock cut out of the mountain without hands, smote the image. Tells you no other nation. Then you go to chapter 7, and you end up with a lion, a bear, a leopard, and an iron beast. Once again, it's a picture of nations that would rule the earth with a little more detail. Now, you still have Babylon, the lion, Medo-Persia, the bear, Greece, the leopard, and the great iron beast, Rome. Then you go from there, you go to chapter 8. And there you have, it starts with a two-horned ram. Babylon has passed off the scene. Babylon is no longer involved. So you have the, the the ram with the two horns, and then further in chapter 8, it tells you that's Medo-Persia. And then you had the rough goat with the one horn that's finally broken off. Later, later on in the chapter, it tells you it's Greece, and the horn is the first king. So, again, it's following the same sequence, is it not? And then you have a little horn that would come up out of the four winds of heaven. And we know that that little horn that would come up that would try to rule the earth until the time of the end is not just Rome, but it becomes papal Rome. And then you find, if you look back in chapter 7, think of what it's saying about that power. Verse 25 says, and the ten horns verse 24, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be diverse from the first and shall subdue three kings. We know that's what happened when the Pope came into power. He shall speak great words against the Most High whereout the saints of the Most High and 
and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand to a time and time and the dividing of time. We know that's that 1260 years given in Daniel and Revelation under different names. Either 42 months, time, times, the dividing of time, time, times and a half, 42 months, whatever it is, it's the same amount of time. So that is the amount of time that the papacy would have to rule before he would lose power. So now you come to chapter 11 of Daniel. What do you expect is going to happen when Daniel 11 starts bringing in prophecy once again? Is it going to change from what you've seen before? Will it change from Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome to papal Rome? No. But it's going to give you details that maybe you didn't, we didn't understand before. Chapter 11 goes through a lot of issues, starting with Medo-Persia and then Greece, and then it gives you all of those kings from the north and south that would rule. And it brings you up in verse 22 to the time of the crucifixion of Jesus. And then, who was in power at the time of the crucifixion of Jesus? Rome. And so after that, what nation would you expect to come into power? In other words, that was pagan Rome, was it? No. Pagan Rome was in power at the time of Jesus. So after Jesus is crucified, what should happen after that? Papal Rome. So papal Rome would come on the scene. And you find that beginning in verse 23, and others feel that that's really a picture of the Crusades, the military work of the papacy, trying to subdue the earth and bring it into subjection to the papacy. And so that's kind of the whole scheme of it, of it all. You see that in chapter 11, it brings you up to this final king of the north, which was the papacy. But then when you look at verse 39, Daniel 11, verse 39, it says, Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. We know that that's what the Pope did. He divided the earth for the gain of those who wanted to control it. But then in verse 40, and this is where I think many people get misled. When it says, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, chariots with horsemen, many ships, and shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So it goes on. But the point here, it begins with, it says, at the time of the end. What would that indicate to you? It would indicate it's at the very end. Is that not right? at the time of the end. So what we see here is at the time of the end, 
all of these types, you've had the head of gold, you know, belly and or chest and arms, silver, and then brass, and then iron and feet of iron clay. You've had the, the lion, the bear, the leopard, the iron beast. You've had all of these. These were types. So what is the antitype? It's the fulfillment, the reality of what all this was pointing to. And so at the time of the end, that last, that king of the north will no longer be just a nation that would try to arise and rule the earth. It would be the final power which would come and try to control God's church, this earth, and everything. What is it the Pope has deemed himself? Lord God the Pope substitute for Jesus on earth. So at the time of the end, when this final king of the north comes, he's lost his power, but now he's trying to regain it. How does that happen? Look at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. Begin with verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear. His mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. We know from the history of our Adventist church, this is speaking of the emergence of the papacy. But what does it say will take place? And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. That came at the end of the 1260, the 42-month time, times, and the dividing of time. All of those saying this is when the papacy would have a wound, but then he would it would be re- restored. He said his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave unto the power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying... Who's like unto the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And go then to verse 11. And you see the emergence then of the United States. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Who is that? We know it's the United States. It's the United States. And what does the United States do? And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. When you think all of this through then, I would submit to you that this final king of the north is nothing more than the combined power of the United States giving papacy power to rule the earth. Protestant America causing the earth and all that dwell therein to worship the first beast. Because that first beast has lost his power, has he not? And yet we know he's desperately trying to regain it. We can see that in the things that are happening in the Vatican even today. People say the Pope is sitting in a wheelchair 
but he's having daily communion with the spirits. He's trying to gain control of the world. Who is he going to get to give him the power to do that? Protestant America. And so when Protestant America and the papacy unite, they're going to bring all other powers under their control. So then who would the final king of the south be? Would it be Egypt? Would it be any of these other nations? Then you're going back to type instead of anti-type. We're looking at the fulfillment at the very time of the end, the king of the north, the power that rules the earth, the papacy and the United States, the king of the south, all those other powers that are opposed to the papacy. What would that be? Islam, all of these isms, atheism, whatever it might be, all of these powers are going to be opposed by the power of the papacy in the United States combined. And what will he do? They'll cause all the world and the people of the earth to worship the first beast. We know that's what is going to take place. Through spiritualism, we know that the world is going to be brought under the control of that power. It's coming to a point where to speak against spiritualism will be looked upon as blasphemy. If you see the miracles taking place at Fatima, anywhere else, and you start speaking against that, you'll be looked upon as blasphemy when all the miracles of this beast begin to take place. What are we going to do to stand against it? We have to have a sure word of God. Is that not true? We can't let that power overrule the scripture. We can't let that power take Jesus as our high priest away from us. He's the only high priest that can save us. There's no no other power. And so we need to realize that. And so here it's saying, if you go back to Daniel chapter 12. When all of these things begin to happen, when the world begins to come under the control of that power, and the judgment, the 2300-day prophecy of Daniel 8.14, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, it's saying all this perversion of the truth was going to be done away with. Yes, how long will it be? How long is God going to let all of this go on? said, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. We know then at the very end, it's going to be taken care of. Jesus, as our high priest, will have accomplished that work in the judgment. All the powers of the earth will have been judged. All the people of God will have been judged and vindicated. The judgment is not a negative thing to the people of God if their hearts are right, because they've been accused. We're all going to be accused at the end. And so the only way we're going to stand is if Michael stands for us. So chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, 
which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. When you go back, you find in chapter 7, it says, the judgment was set. And what was opened? Books. The judgment was set, the books were opened. Here it says, their names will be written where? In the book. No longer books. Here is a book. What book is that that their names are written in? The book of life. You find that in Revelation 17, Revelation 21. The names of the people of God will be found written in the book. And they're going to be delivered. Yes, there's going to be a time of trouble, such as never was. Are we preparing for that time of trouble? What do we expect God expects from us living at that time? To give in? Give up? Just play around with the temptations of Satan? Or are we going to, through faith in the righteousness of Jesus, find power to resist the temptations of Satan? That's the question that each one of us are going to have to ask, answer in our own mind. Can the righteousness of Jesus, given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, subdue every evil, sinful trait? That's a serious question, is it not? And if we don't understand the righteousness of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to give in and give up. That's why we're being tested. That's why this time of trouble, little time of trouble is coming. We know it's coming. We're going to be sifted. We're going to be shaken. What will keep us from giving in and giving up? Faith in the word of God. Whereby are given unto us, 2 Peter 1.4, exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And what does that do for you? Having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God. Do, Do the promises of God given by the Holy Spirit have strength to give you power to resist all of that all of those lusts, all of those sinful uh, tendencies. That sounds scary when you first think of it, does it not? To think that God wants us to overcome all of our inherited and cultivated tendencies to sin. Is it possible, though? Where do you make a beginning? A beginning. As many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1.12. So he gives, and Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jeremiah 32 said, nothing's too hard for, for God. 
So then, is there any sin that's too hard for God to cleanse? Any sin that's too hard to rid out of your life? No. So what's the only obstacle? The only, it's unwillingness to receive Jesus and allow him to fulfill his new covenant promise of writing his law upon the heart. Otherwise, what we're telling God is what the children of Israel told God in Mount Sinai three times. All that thou hast said, we will do and be obedient. Did they do it? Absolutely not. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. The third time after they said, all that you've said we will do, that he gave them the commandments once again. Verse 29. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments. Always it might be well with them, with their children forever. Jesus said that what they were saying is good. Nothing wrong with what they said. All that thou said we will do and be obedient. He said, what you've said is right. Look at verse 28. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me, and the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of the people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. He said, yes, you've said what's right, but you don't have a heart to do it. How do we get that? If any man would come after me, let him deny it and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul said, I die daily. We have to realize we have to crucify self every day. There, there's, no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. If we don't do that, Satan will eventually gain the ascendance. We can't be playing around. It's the end of time. This is it. Whatever is we let God do will be successful. If we resist, we know that Satan is going to be able to cause us to give in and give up. I just want you to think of what God had promised the children of Israel. He promised it to Abraham. He promised it to Isaac. He promised it to Jeremiah. He promised it to Ezekiel. He promised it to Paul. That he would fulfill his covenant promise and write his law upon the heart. Will you let him do it? Will you ask him to do it? Agonize with God in prayer. Don't just give a a quick prayer. Agonize with God in prayer. And as you surrender your will to him, God puts in your heart the desire to keep his law. And in Ellen White's writings, that's first selected messages, I can't remember the page. I had it written down, but I, where she said, when it's in the heart to obey God, and when efforts are put forth to this end, God accepts that as our best effort, and he makes up with the deficiency with what? His own divine merit. Or then, when it's in your heart to obey and you give yourself to him for to let him do it, what does God see as you're putting forth efforts to obey? The righteousness of Jesus. 
That's what he sees on your record. Does that mean that that's all I ever need? No, we're to grow in grace, are we not? We're to grow in grace. God wants us to do more than than just to say the word once. He wants us to daily be surrendered. He wants us to experience so much more than what we've experienced. Power to obey, power to share his goodness with others who sit in darkness. And so, it's what Daniel 12 is all about. Michael standing up. He's going to become the next ruler. If you looked in in Daniel chapter 11, verses 2, 3, 7, onward, a number of places it talks about a power standing up. That means they were beginning to rule. But then here it says that at the end, at the time of the end, it says Michael will stand up. What would that indicate that Jesus is about to do? He's about to rule. He wants to rule this world, but there's still a little time left where we need to find, through the grace of God, power to say no to Satan. It's not going to be through your strength. It's not going to be through you saying, I won't do it. That's what the children of Israel said. But is the grace of God, the righteousness of God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, strong enough to defeat the devil? You can't look at your own experience. You look at the promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Keep claiming the promise. When you fail, you keep claiming it again. When you're successful, claim it again. Don't give in just because you've had a victory. And when the time of trouble comes, when every one of us, no matter how righteous we are in the sight of God, are going to be tested to the limit, what do we do when waves of despair overthrow your soul and you feel totally lost? What are you going to cling to then? Great Controversy 621. Great Controversy, 621. When waves of despair which no language can express sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promises of God. Ever feel like you can't make it? It's too hard? I can't do it? It's at times like that that you have to cling to the promise and that's all you have to cling on to. You don't have in your heart don't have it in your mind to do everything that God wants you to do at that moment. All you have is the promise of God. I'm not going to let go of it just because Satan 
is trying to get me to give up and get discouraged. And so, going back to Daniel chapter 12. Speaking of things at the end. Verse 40. I'm sorry, chapter 12. Yeah, we're going to look at here in verse uh, 44. When all of this begins to take place and the papacy in the United States are combining to control the world, it says in verse 44, when it seems like they're, they're successful and nobody's going to be able to stand against them, it says, but tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. I believe this is the time when that latter reign power, in other words, the king of the north looks like he's defeating every other power on the earth. And yet all of a sudden here's something this disturbing his peace. Tidings out of the east. Well, we know the kings of the east are coming to get us. If this message of the three angels' messages is being given to the world, what does that tell you has taken place? The latter reign of the Holy Spirit has come upon the church of God, and they've given this three-pronged message. What's the first part of it? The everlasting gospel. You can't eliminate that. All the way to the very end, it's the everlasting gospel that gives God's people strength. The message of Jesus and his love for us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 14. This is important to think of. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. What is it that's going to keep you from giving up when everything seems to be falling apart? God's love. You can't look at anything else, but it says, you look and said, if he died for all, what does that tell you? Then we're all de- we were all dead, spiritually and physically as a result. There's no way we can live on. But he died for all. If that love of Jesus doesn't melt the heart, what will? Fear of punishment, hope of reward, doesn't last. There has to be a living experience in trusting God through the trials and difficulties that come. Are you going through trials? Are you having difficulties? Thank God for them. Don't try just to escape. Say, God, what would you have me to learn from this? Every one of you have had trials and difficulties. I don't care who you are. And if we ask God, he'll show us what that trial and difficulty did to keep us from going away from God totally and allowing Satan to have control. There's nothing, no matter how bad it may seem at the time, that God won't take and turn it around for good for you and for someone else who's going through the same problem. Trials. They're God's workmen. 
help us examine our own hearts. Do we really trust God or don't we? Do we believe that what he's asking us to do is for our own good or don't we? Is there a better way? But let me ask you this. If Jesus came and took his church to heaven in his present condition, what would the devil say? You're unjust. Look at these people are committing the same same sins I was committing. And you're going to take them to heaven and destroy me? I call the universe to account. It's not just. You have to remember, when you give yourself fully to God, his righteousness covers you. If you were to die at that moment, there are a lot of sins that you may be committing you don't even know of. But you've confessed and forsaken the ones you did know. And God will point in the record books. Yes, they committed that sin. But look here. They confessed. And they received me. And I gave them victory over those sins. We have to realize the devil is playing for keeps. We're at the end. This is not just a time to do the best we can and think, well, later I'm going to do something better. The will has to be given to God each day. The righteousness of Jesus has to be placed to our account. And the power of his Holy Spirit has to give us the strength to say no to Satan. So this is where we are. I think I've said enough on that for the time. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 12. I just don't want anyone to think that they're lost because they have sin that they haven't overcome. That's why God is bringing a time of trouble. That's why he's given us more opportunity to give your will to him, to pray for the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, we're all lost. We have no strength. Daniel 12, verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We know this is speaking of a special resurrection. Spoken of in Revelation 1-7. You know, those, them also which pierced him. Every eye will see him, they also which pierced him. The ones that actually crucified Jesus are going to be raised to see him coming, to see this is the one you said was the, was the son of Satan. This is the one that you claimed was Beelzebub. But also Reve- Revelation 14, 13. After giving the three, the three angels' message in Revelation 6 through 12, 
Revelation 14, verse 13. It says this. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, his hand a sharp sickle. You know, Ellen White said that this group are those who died in the giving of the three angels' messages who died before Jesus returned. It was those who went through all of this at the end, giving the judgment message, the, the three angels' messages. If they've died before Jesus returns, they're going to be raised to see him coming too. It's not vital, but I think it's just God is saying, you've done this for me. I want you to see who I am too when I come in the clouds of heaven. Is that worth everything? To be able to see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven? Say, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. It's the Lord. Yes. That 144,000 are that group who have resisted the temptations of Satan. So, verse 7 brings you once again to that same time, times and a half, when the power of the papacy will be broken. But I want you to think, let's look at just a couple more things here. Verse 10, many will be, shall be purified and made white, and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, they're not going to change, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. This is one that we haven't dealt with a lot. But this is speaking again of the emergence of the papacy, but it adds the one thing to it that many people have missed. It says, from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate shall be set up. We know the daily sacrifice, which is not really sacrifice, the daily, the ministry of Jesus was taken away from the power of Jesus as our high priest in heaven when the Pope set up his own earthly ministry with priests and that. You see that in Daniel 8, 11. You find it again in Daniel eleven thirty one, And you find it again in Daniel 12, 11 that this daily would be taken away, this to me, which simply means the Pope set up his own ministry on earth and said, you can come to me, I can forgive sin. 
priest, if you were to ask them, because I've had Bible students ask them, the priest will tell you the Pope has the power to forgive sin because he's taken the place of Jesus on earth. And so then, here we are. It said there'll be 1,290 days. Well, what's the extra 30 days? If you went back to 508 B.C., I mean 508, rather, you find Clovis, the king of the Franks, started doing away with the Aryan nations who believed that Jesus was created. It was an anathema to the papacy at the time because he wanted to be in control. He wanted the, the world to worship him as if he was God. And so Clovis then took and he began defeating these Aryan nations. 508, he defeated the Visigoths. 534, he defeated, defeated the Vandals. In 538, he defeated the Ostrogoths. That removed all of these nations that believed Jesus was a created being away from the scene. So it gave the papacy the power to begin to rule the earth as God. Kind of unusual to think of it that way, isn't it? But that's really what was taking place. The Pope wanted to be worshipped. And so then that power was, they were taken away. 533, Justinian gave to the papacy the right to rule over all the churches of earth. But because the final Aryan nation was not yet defeated, he did not begin to rule until 538. So in 538, finally the papacy took his throne to replace Jesus on earth in his mind. And so we have that same power that we know was defeated in 1798, but is looking to regain its power in the end. What do we do? What is our message in that time? Ellen White said our, our marching orders are Revelation 14, 6 through 12, the three angels' messages. It's not just Babylon has fallen and don't worship the beast. It has to be worship him that made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters. It's the everlasting gospel more to worship the creator. The Sabbath is a sign we're worshiping the creator. So God wants us to be preparing for that time. Think if you were part of our church, the beginnings of our church, back in the 1830s and 40s. And they began to study these things. Was it difficult? They didn't have somebody else that had they could go to and find answers. They were depending only on God to help them understand the times and all that was taking place. It was hard. Did they make mistakes in their understanding of it? Yes. But the Holy Spirit continued to bless. Did they predict something that didn't happen? Yes. They predicted that Jesus was coming in the clouds of heaven. But it didn't happen. And so, time went on. But I want you to look at the next verse. Verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth 
and cometh unto the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. If you were to take from that beginning point when they began to set up the papacy, 508, you add 1335 to it, you come out with 1843. Here it said those who came to that time were blessed. Well, if you predicted the end of the world in 1843 and it didn't happen, would you feel blessed? No, they felt defeated until they studied it again. Then they realized, what was it that God did for that group that wrestled with these issues for such a length of time? They came to understand so much more than they would have understood had they not had to wrestle with it. And so even though it was seeming a defeat, just like you and me, when we have trials that we seem like everything we hope for is gone, if we let God have control of it, we will be blessed by it. I want to read to you something here, which, if I can find it here. You would find it in manuscript release number 20. I've got so many pieces of paper here. Manuscript release 20 and 21. If you were to look it up on your CD-ROM, you would find that those who... Here it is. Manuscript release 20, paragraph 1. Blessed are the eyes which saw the things that were seen in 1843 and 1844. The message was given, and there should be no delay in repeating the message. For the signs of the times are fulfilling, the closing work must be done. A great work will be done in a short time. A message will soon be given by God's appointment that will swell into a loud cry. Then Daniel will stand in his lot and give his testimony. In manuscript release 21, it also added this. We need an experience that we have not yet had. When we, that we may have the assurance that God of all grace is a very present help in time of need. The time of trouble such as this was not, as this was not since the world as a nation is right upon us. And we are like the sleeping virgins. We are to awake and ask the Lord Jesus to place underneath us his everlasting arms and carry us through the time of trial before us. So we need we need an experience, a living experience in handling these truths of God. And that's why God has given us this opportunity, a time to try 
and maybe not understand it fully, to then go back and study it again, learn more, learn through surrendering your will to God each day and asking him to write his law upon your heart, you begin to see victory over your sinning that you never had experienced before. There's no other way. It has to be through the claiming the promises of God. Are you willing to agonize before God, confessing your sin and claiming his promise? Him that cometh unto me, I shall in no wise cast out. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't want to leave his work half done, not just forgiven, but cleansed and purified. It's not a threat. It's not a threat when you believe that it's the power of God working in you and you're simply asking God to fulfill that which he has promised. Are you willing to let him do it? That's the real issue. The real issue is Satan has claimed God can't cleanse his people from the sin, from their sin. Satan has claimed they, they're not being cleansed. I can't be. Your law is unjust. That's what the great controversy between Christ and Satan is all about. Can the people of God find strength to obey? That's a question you're going to have to ask yourself. Do I have it myself? Absolutely not. Does God have the power to do it? Yes, he does. Will you give him the opportunity? And when everything, as we read, when it seems like waves of despair are sweeping over your soul, you feel like everything is lost, are you going to cling to the promise then and not let go? As you wrestle through these things, you'll be blessed, just as they were blessed back in 1843 when they wrestled with these truths too. Give God the glory for the things that he's done, the things that he's doing, the things that he will do in your life if you ask him. Every sin, no matter how strong it may be, ask him to give you strength to overcome it and show you the sinfulness of it and give you a desire to live a righteous, holy life by faith. It's my prayer. Our closing hymn is hymn number 437.